Chapter 3, Blood Spray Luke Classer found his brother Jack bathed in the glow of the refrigerator, staring at nothing in particular. What you doing? he asked if, his, if talking to a dog with a head injury. Where's the guacamole? Jack replied, shuffling the condiments around in search of the green goo. You ate it yesterday, and there's other stuff in there besides guac and chips, you know, like real food. Luke saw that his brother was in a mood, most likely from the time he spent accelerating downstairs. He knew the pattern. Jack would hook himself up, zone out, and stumble around like a zombie for 36 hours afterwards, eating dorm food. He could literally set his watch by it. Guacamole is real food, plus I don't want anything else, Jack replied, plopping down beside Luke, who was finishing a video game session. Luke tossed his controller on the floor near the TV, the sound of plastic on the marble flooring temporarily waking their dog Bosco from a dream. Luke yawned and stretched, tying his long blonde hair into a man bun with the elastic hairband he routinely wore as a bracelet. He cocked an eyebrow at his brother. What were you playing? Jack asked through a mouthful of potato chips. Ugh, that stupid game you always play. I hate this shit anyway, Luke said, pointing at his low score. I just don't get the attraction, he quickly followed up. Before Jack could speak and pontificate on the virtues of gaming, Luke quickly added, Where the hell were you anyway? I wanted to go grab a bite to eat with you. Luke quickly answered his own question. Uh, strapped your accelerator? or whatever you call that fucking chair. Thought you were going to ease up on that shit. Jack just shrugged. I needed a break. You call that a break? Luke was genuinely surprised. Jesus, man, if anybody knows, it's me. That ain't no break. Jack shrugged and offered a sad smile. That's the best I can do right now. Luke shook his head. It had been a month since their last corporate project, and Jack was bored which meant he ended up in the chair more often, slightly more fucked up and isolated after each session. Luke was starting to worry. Their official business and main hustle was running a small but lucrative consulting firm that ran the gamut from corporate investigations to government work, primarily crunching numbers and providing data science on the fly, with a little field work mixed in. In government circles, they were known to be effective, inexplicably so but their role was normally compartmentalized, meaning they had no clue what they were working on. They were just cogs in a machine, a small piece of a big puzzle where all the pieces were the same color. For Jacks, the projects were beginning to be a problem, maybe even a moral dilemma. When they had started consulting initially, he was excited to use his immense knowledge to solve problems that others couldn't. Luke helped and was instrumental in many of their jobs, but he never shared the passion for the business that Jack did and hated being kept in the dark regarding potential implications of their projects. Jack remembered Luke once asking, what if we're helping enable a genocide or helping a bunch of dickheads rig an election? Luke had a flair for the dramatic, but he was also starting to make sense. Without understanding how their projects fit into the grand scheme of things, the joy was getting sucked out of the job, and he recently discovered that even the most benign assignments could turn deadly. Their last project was an IRS probe, which was supposed to be straightforward, slightly boring work. 
Granted, this was the first time working with the IRS, and in light of their previous work with the intelligence community, they were fairly certain it was really Homeland Security that was pulling the strings. The inquiry involved the CEO of a mid-sized tech company that won several government and multinational deals along with military contracts that on the surface the company had no business winning. Add to it that the CEO had coincidentally made large sums of money buying and selling stock in companies that were also the recipients of large first-time government contracts, at least ahead of the announcements, was enough to raise suspicion and a red flag somewhere in the bowels of bureaucracy. Jack had originally found the anomalous trades buried in several shell companies and informed his employer. The IRS in charge of the case brought him along to meet with the CEO in question, ostensibly to check the numbers and aid in the line of questioning. It should have been nothing more than a fact-finding mission, but it wasn't. When confronted with the numbers, and when questions arose about his investments in the shell companies, the CEO calmly put up his hand as if he remembered something, then opened the top drawer of his desk and pulled out a deeply blued 45 caliber automatic handgun. He briefly pointed it at Jack and the agent, performing the mental calculus on who to shoot first, then inexplicably put the gun to his head and pulled the trigger. Jack successfully cleaned the blood spray from his clothing, but the stain on his conscience was more difficult to remove. He told himself that the emotional trauma of the event wasn't as severe for him, certainly not as much as the other agent, since Jack had actually kissed death on the lips before and wasn't afraid of it. But that was a lie. His work had directly led to a person taking his own life. He saw it up close, and there was no way he could hide from that reality. As he did often, he attempted to change the narrative in his head by focusing on the data instead of the emotion. Why would a successful CEO kill himself over a tax issue? Jack could not escape that thought. The reason the CEO chose to hit the exit door was a mystery, a mystery that could have cost him and the other agent their lives. Jack had missed something, something big enough for a successful CEO with no criminal record to kill himself. His research methods were highly refined and spooky accurate, so missing something that big was a confidence shaker and a mystery which Jack had yet to make any sense of. Luke knew where his brother's head was. He always did. You gotta let that go, man. It was not your fault. That's why we're taking a break, right? Like I said, that's what I was doing, taking a break, Jack replied. Luke dropped the pretense of discussing their previous case and pivoted back to Jack's acceleration session. You are gonna fry your ass, silly, if you keep doing that shit, man. There's a limit to what you can take. Luke's demeanor suddenly turned serious. How's your tremor, by the way? What are you talking about, Jack replied, unconsciously holding his left hand, remember it shaking after his acceleration session. Luke had always been able to read his brother, but now he knew every crevice in his face, every blink, every breath. Really? So that's how it is now? Luke was so annoyed that his brother could slip in denial so easily. Don't start that shit with me. I'm your brother, and I'm practically impossible to bullshit, if you'll recall. It's nothing. It only happens occasionally when I don't get enough sleep. That's all, Jack replied, trying to shut his brother down. It has nothing to do with my acceleration sessions. 
Luke stared at him without speaking, something Luke was prone to do for uncomfortable lengths of time. Jack felt the weight of his brother's eyes locked on him and was relieved when it was Luke that finally broke the silence. You're going to fry your ass silly. You know that, Luke said as if he was explaining physics to a child. How do you know? Jack suddenly turned serious. I mean, is there really a limit? Let's face it, you're as smart as I am, and I don't know that there is. Ugh, how about neurological damage, permanent neurological damage, Luke blurted. There's no evidence of that. Luke knew where his brother was going to go with the conversation. Jack would wax on philosophically for hours and avoid the real question. But Luke wasn't taking the bait. Wrong. I'm a lot smarter than you are. And I'm really fucking intuitive. Now that is a fact. But I don't want to go there. Were you stock watching again? Jack just shrugged in reply. Luke rolled his eyes, took out his hairband, and shook out his shoulder-length hair only to tie it back again. A nervous habit of late. He paused and focused. I don't care how much money you make, man. You are damaging yourself. Luke looked at Jack's hand with a frown. Wasn't once enough when we were kids? I know, I know, Jack said. (sighs) He blew out a deep breath. I'm easing up, but it does make us a lot of money. Almost makes it worthwhile to feel like shit. Little hint of a smile grew over his face. Which company this time, stock market genius? Luke tried to pivot and lighten the conversation. Jack scratched his head as if trying to remember. Ah, it was just personal stuff this time. Jack not wanting to mention Greenleaf to Luke yet. A couple weeks ago, it was Agrifuse. That's what I made money on. The seed and pesticide company? Oh, God, that's the most boring industry on the planet. Share prices don't swing that much. This time they did, Jack replied. Shorted them a few days ago. They just announced an acquisition that the market didn't like. They acquired a GPS startup, something that makes uh, planting really accurate. Luke nodded appreciatively. So did you end up buying those guys too? In a way, they were private, Jack replied. They were in one of Dan Stokes' portfolios. Dan Stokes? Oh, what a fucking douchebag. Luke, unable to hide his disdain for the venture capital community and Stokes in particular. That would be him, Jack said, pointing his finger theatrically. How'd you get him to let you in? They never retroactively opened up a fund to new LP investors. It was because of VertiCloud, Jack replied with a smirk, realizing it would get under Luke's skin. Luke rolled his eyes as he thought about VertiCloud. He had helped Dan Stokes with due diligence on a potential investment in VertiCloud, and it was a sore spot for him. As a favor to Jack, he had evaluated VertiCloud's social media platform focused on clean energy customer engagement for power companies. It was all a greenwash, and Luke told Stokes as much. But Stokes invested anyway, and used Luke's report as a roadmap to help redirect the company's focus into bullshitting customers. Add to it that VertiCloud's IPO put nearly a billion dollars into Dan Stokes' venture firm, made Luke sick knowing he'd helped an asshole make money from disinformation. Luke finally spoke. (laughs) Well, I guess after making him a shit ton of money, that's the least he could do. Yes, it was, Jack added. So, you actually made money off of Stokes? Luke still didn't quite believe his brother. Jack got up and tapped his brother on the head affectionately. 
I will as soon as they reconcile the fund. Actually, correct that. We'll make money. By the way, I borrowed a little from you. I'll drop it back into your account today. Luke cut his eyes at Jack. Borrowed? Why the fuck do you need to borrow anything? You've got your own pile of cash to work with. Jack's expression turned sour. I wasn't liquid at the time, and I didn't want to pull out of my positions just for this trade. Luke shook his head and rolled his eyes, but Jack wasn't having any of it. He continued, You see all this? Jack waved his hands theatrically at their well-appointed den. This all looks great, and we have assets out the ass, but what we don't have is a lot of cash on hand right now. We could use some cash flow, the kind that actually pays the bill and our employees. Luke sat silently for a moment, which was incredibly difficult for him. He knew that they hadn't been working and he needed to step it up, but he didn't want to get into that argument again. He didn't want to let Jack distract him from his original question. So how much did you borrow? Luke asked. About two, Jack replied. Shit! Million? Yeah, I doubled your money, asshole. Jack was clearly irritated by his brother's response. A simple thank you would do? How about you tell me first? If I pulled that shit, you would freak, man. You do pull that shit, and I don't freak. You really want to get into it? How about your expenses? Your gambling adventure sucked down more jet fuel than Air Force One. You start paying that back, then you can talk. Jack replied. Luke shut up and quickly ditched the Righteous Indignation Act. He sure as hell didn't want to handle his own money, much less their business finances. He left the accounting, accounts payable and receivables to Jack, who was good at it. It had worked out well for Luke and he never had to lift a finger. He quickly pivoted when he realized he had just made some extra coin thanks to his brother. Dude, that was a huge haul. So why don't we celebrate? I'm planning a trip to the Bahamas, going to make a little money of my own. You should come. It'll be fun. Jack went back into the kitchen, opened the pantry looking for more junk food. You know, that's not my thing. Other than strapping your ass into your neural accelerator, which is really nothing more than a torture session in a dentist chair. Like, what is your thing? Luke quickly answered his own question. Oh, self-inflicted torture from that gold-digger girlfriend of yours, referring to Jack's girlfriend, Beth, who's becoming quite the pain in the ass. Fuck off, Jack said through a yawn. Luke brushed it off and went into salesman mode. Seriously, you need some fun. Something to take your mind off things. Come on, it'll be good. Jack put his time and energy in the stock market, but Luke was a gambler. Both were games of chance for most people, but for Jack and Luke, that wasn't the case. It was nothing more than calculated work. For Jack, accelerating required enduring extreme levels of physical discomfort, and his method of stock market research would induce epileptic seizures in anyone other than his brother. But in the back of his mind, he also knew that Luke was right. Accelerating was taking a physical toll on him his tremors becoming more pronounced after each session. Luke, on the other hand, opted for something less stressful and more fun, using his unique ability to read people and patterns, playing poker, and exiting casinos with garbage sacks full of cash. 
You gonna drop by mom and dad's? Jack asked his brother. Luke narrowed his eyes and gave him the finger. Jack continued. If you're going to fly all the way back east, you might as well. You know they never come out here to Vegas. I will if you will, Luke shot back. They loved their parents, but they were typical high-strung South Florida parents, meaning they were always meddling, layering on guilt and offering unsolicited advice. Jack raised his eyebrows. I'll wait to the holidays. I need to work my way up to that. It'll take a lot of weed for that to happen. Luke replied sarcastically, referring to his brother's copious cannabis consumption. Luke could read his brother like a book and knew he was deflecting from the original question. Fine, stay, whatever. Just promise me you won't go back downstairs anymore this month, Luke said. Promise, Jack replied. Really promise? If you don't, I'll tell Mom, Luke said with a smirk. Bite me, Jack shot back then drug himself back upstairs to bed. Draper hung up with his agent and quickly called Magnus Johnson, his senior director in charge of money laundering operations based in Canada. Draper skipped the hellos. I need a favor from you. Good to hear from you too, Draper. What can I help you with? I need you to keep someone entertained for a while in one of your facilities, two, three days tops. That shouldn't be a problem. We're just another cannabis farm parked in the Great White North, in the middle of nowhere. Magnus's disdain for his current lot in life seeped through the phone. Who is it and when? It's Jack Glasser. The timeline is fluid, but most likely in a week or two. I'll need you to devise a plan to get him there, ready to go, when I call. Draper heard Magnus swallow hard. Jack Glasser? You want me to get him here? I thought your girl was working on him, Magnus said with contempt. If you get him here, I'll entertain him, but I won't initiate contact with him. I don't want to be anywhere near that fucking psychopath of yours. I'm surprised she hasn't killed him already. Draper said nothing. Instead, he let Magnus marinate in awkward silence, giving him time to appreciate his situation. Saying no to Draper wasn't something you did if you wanted to live. Magnus quickly relented. Fine, so I'll need to come up with Draper. Cut him off. Magnus, I don't have time to spitball ideas with you. He's got a taste for the product that you're producing. You have a week to figure out a way to use that to come up with a paying job or something that will get the fucker out of town for a few days. Draper hung up the phone in disgust hoping Magnus would screw up sooner than later. Draper had a lot on his plate, but the idea of putting that Dutch bastard down was the only pleasurable thought he could conjure at the moment. Draper's girl stood in the desert, staring at the distant Las Vegas lights, cool air filling her lungs, exhaling a warm mist as she contemplated Draper's request. Was it a request? No, Draper only gives commands. She stood without blinking realizing that her current assignment, though challenging, was almost over. She never failed, but this felt like failure. An involuntary twitch made her realize she was still gripping her phone, almost crushing it. She put it in her pocket and turned her attention to the man who, while taped, had been trying to crawl off into the desert like a sidewinder. She quickly dropped back into character. Oh, no, you don't, she said playfully grabbing him by the hair and then dragging him back to the hole. 
She'd extracted all the information out of him that she could before her call with Draper. In the end, he was a nobody. A mid-level hotel security guy at Caesar's Palace who had taken too keen an interest in her. A garden-variety perv who'd used his master key to sneak into her room and install a small video camera in her bathroom, and who was now paying the price. Hey, sorry, but I had to take that call. Boss and all. She put her phone away, smiled, then creased her brow as if she'd forgotten something. The dumb blonde impression, at odds with the menacing nature of her hardened stare and extreme physicality. You know... You probably overheard my conversation, and that's not good. The bound man mumbled inside the duct tape and shook his head as if to say he hadn't heard a thing. No, I'm pretty sure you did, silly. She reached into her waistband and pulled out a compact SIG 9mm pistol. Just think of this as an intervention, she said coldly, then sent two hunks of lead spiraling into his chest and head. She kicked the body into the hole grabbed her shovel, and quickly filled it. Within ten minutes, she was headed back to the Las Vegas Strip with Jack Lasser on her mind.